You're listening to Her Brilliant Health Radio, episode number 22. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to Her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN Dr. Kieran Dunstan shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. everybody. It's Dr. Kieran. Welcome to another episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Today, we're talking about a very important topic that's very near and dear to my heart as my mother is suffering from this. So it's very important. And if you're listening, you probably have a relative's or a in your immediate family or your extended family, or you know someone who has a relative who's suffering with this, it's one of the top 10 medical conditions that leads to death. And it's very devastating. So I'm very excited to welcome our guest today, Dr. Ken Charlin. Dr. Charlin is the number one best-selling author of the recently, recently released The Healthy Brain Toolbox, Neurologist Proven Strategies to Prevent Memory Loss and Protect Your Aging Brain. Dr. Charlin is an Emory University trained and board certified neurologist with certification in functional medicine from the Institute of Functional Medicine. He offers both traditional and holistic management options for his patients. He's a three-time Ironman triathlon finisher. And Dr. Charlin made his story of personal transformation the launching point of his career when he shifted gears to a holistic lifestyle medicine-oriented approach. His Brain Tune-Up Functional Medicine Program assists people in addressing the root causes of the full spectrum of memory loss from mild cognitive decline and impairment to cognitive decline to Alzheimer's disease and everywhere in between. Please help me welcome Dr. Ken Charlie. Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited to join you and your listeners today. So I'm very interested in your personal transformation. You said that doing the Ironman triathlons really was one of the launch pads that propelled you into switching to a holistic lifestyle-based practice of medicine and approaching people's health. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I uh, am in my early 50s, and I grew up in New Jersey. And like a lot of people from my generation, really, you know, spent a lot of time outdoors. We're very active as kids. Our parents said, just go, you know, make sure you're home for dinner. And I think to a great degree, how we live our lives today in the 21st century has changed quite a bit, but I grew up, you know, riding my bicycle. That was my main mode of transportation, whether it was school or to a friend's house. And so that was really part of who I was. I went on to college and then medical school and that bike uh, just gathered dust in the closet as other things took priority in my life. And then in 2006 or so, my wife, Valerie, who works for a large hospital system, uh, but is engaged in working with older adults and helping them to stay active and healthy, came home one day and said, guess what? We're starting a bicycle club. I said, wow, that's great, except there's only one problem. I don't have a bicycle anymore, but I I loved bikes, right? I grew up biking. So we went out and, uh, you know, I hadn't bought a bike for many years, but I I was rather shocked at uh, how things had evolved and the carbon frames and the fancy racing wheels and all this stuff. Uh, But we bought a couple of bikes and being the competitive person that I am, I quickly realized that the bike that I had chosen for that, uh, for the riding club wasn't going to be good enough. And so as we got into it more and more, the bikes got upgraded and the intensity increased. And before we knew it, we were doing those, you know, 30, 40, 60, 100 mile rides. And that was fun. We even uh, rode our bicycles across Iowa in a uh, famous ride called the Ragbri. But 
at a certain point, I felt like I had kind of been there, done that. It was great, but I wanted more. Mm -hmm. And along those lines, I had met a couple of individuals who were involved in the sport of triathlon. I thought that is incredible that you could swim, bike, and run all in a day. And this was a race and it was competitive and I was kind of competitive. And I'd also grown up on, you know, summer doing summer swim league between uh, grade school years. So I was kind of familiar with swimming. I wasn't much of a runner, but I could learn. I thought short story. I did uh, get into triathlon and really geeked out on it. Uh, if you will, I, uh, started listening to the Ben Greenfield podcast show or friend Ben Greenfield. And one of the things I enjoyed, and I'm sure he still does this is that Ben would start out all of his podcasts with the latest research from uh, nutrition and sports medicine journals. And so he brought the science into the lifestyle of triathlon. He was quite a triathlete at that time. Now he's more of an obstacle course, you know, person and a biohacker. But, you know, we all we all continue to transform and evolve. At any rate, I was listening very avidly to his podcast show, continuing to practice neurology, going from being a cyclist to a triathlete, thinking about food, thinking about how important sleep, rest, and recovery was, thinking about that whole mind-body connection. Of course, I had to think about my training plan itself and what I was going to do for that day, my run, my bike, whatever, and that it wasn't random, that somehow there was this structure to those workouts that would get me ultimately to race day. So those pieces of lifestyle medicine were coming into place and one day I was listening to Ben's podcast show and he was interviewing David Perlmutter. Dr. Perlmutter is a neurologist. He's really a pioneer of uh, the application of functional medicine principles to neurology. I was pretty frustrated at that point in time with where my career was going as a neurologist. I saw people just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. As you, The only thing I could do was either give them more medicine, give them another medicine, or refer them to a surgeon. And too often, even the surgical treatments were not much of a, of a fix, ultimately, for the problem. But when Dr. Perlmutter started talking about using root cause medicine, to treat his patients and applying the principles of lifestyle. And I was already doing this in my own life and seeing changes. You know, I was sort of going one way as my patient's health was going the other way. I realized that there had to be something to this. And I looked up the Institute for Functional Medicine and was like the gates of heaven opening. You know, I heard the trumpets and the angels and I saw the light. And I was like, oh, my wife said, go into the light. I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And uh, I signed up for the first available course, happened to be a hormone module. I thought this was absolutely incredible. I even remember in the uh, midst of all of these sciencey lectures uh, that one, Joel Evans, one of the instructors said, okay, everybody, we're going to get up and dance. I, thought, I have never been to a science meeting where everybody dances in the middle of the conference. But this, you know, this is exactly what, you know, functional medicine is all about. It's the energy, it's the feeling, it's the connection. It's getting back to our roots and so I was absolutely hooked, and that was the beginning of my journey into functional medicine. I, I love that story, and I got chill bumps when you said you uh, the gates of heaven opened when you went to your first IFM module, and how your health was going on one tra trajectory, uh, becoming better and better, and your patient's health was going kind of in the, the gutter. Um, and you saw that discrepancy, and you you heeded what you were learning and went there because I, I actually had exactly the same experience. And I think it's important for everybody listening to understand what you're listening to. You're not just listening to another podcast about 
general health practices that are in the mainstream that are going to tell you the latest drug to take for your condition. What you're listening to are two physicians who are board certified in their field who practice traditional medicine and had kind of their own health challenges. I probably was pretty, I was pretty sick. It sounds like you weren't necessarily sick, but you had room for improvement. And in becoming a highly tuned athlete, uh, you learned these tools. So it's a little bit of a different paradigm, but in any case, our health improved. And then we saw the discrepancy between our health and our patient's health and said, now, wait a minute, we're missing something here because even though we're board certified and I used to say, well, I'm supposed to know everything there is to know about women's health, but apparently I didn't. Uh, so everybody listening, really pay attention because when the gates of heaven open and then you learn about the true cause of disease and you start looking at root causes and lifestyle and diet and exercise and stress management and hormone balancing and detoxifying and all of these issues that we deal with in functional medicine, you really can heal and achieve a higher level of health than you probably think is possible based on what you've experienced and what you've seen among your friends and family. So that's why I do this podcast so that people become aware because you're not necessarily going to see this on the news. You're not necessarily going to hear about it. So this is very important. So thank you for sharing your journey. And you know, there are many stumbling blocks along the way for all of us and not to digress too much into making this a triathlon podcast, but there are plenty of things that triathletes do and that frankly I was doing that were of course taking me in the wrong direction. It is possible to overtrain and wreck your hormones. The other piece that I uh, and of course, when you're, you're not just wrecking your hormones, all kinds of other things happen. It affects your immune system. It affects your gut health. Mm -hmm. And then uh, endurance athletes notoriously take in huge amounts of carbohydrates and very refined carbohydrates. I mean, everything from the pre-race pasta dinner, which I would never do anymore, mm -hmm. to the goos and gels and other, you know, sugary syrup-like uh, endurance foods uh, that are marketed directly to athletes. And so, uh, you know, I learned some hard lessons. And in the process, while I, I was ultimately, um, you know, opening my mind to the impact of lifestyle on my health, the aspects of triathlon and endurance racing, as I did some marathons as well in that process, really also took me down uh, some wrong roads, some wrong turns. And there's a period of time where I wrecked my gut pretty, pretty bad doing triathlon. And that's, that's not uncommon. You hear a lot of stories about endurance athletes having gut and bowel problems uh, during races, which is especially obviously awkward and embarrassing. And so I'm familiar with the nutrient deficiencies can be huge with athletes. And it's something that I'll see often that they're depleted in uh, certain uh, nutrients. What, um, what predisposes the triathlete or an athlete in general to gut problems in case somebody listening is an athlete and they'd be interested to know more about that? Uh, following the principles of functional medicine, especially at least the way I frame functional medicine, which is what we call a systems biology approach or functional biological systems as they were laid out by one of the founders of functional medicine, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, we can really think of multiple systems that are connected to one another, each of which has an impact. So for example, does it affect hormones? Absolutely affects hormones. Does it affect your immune system? No question about that. It affects your immune system. We know this, that if we push our bodies too hard, mm -hmm. we often get sick, right? How often does that happen at one point or another? Uh, does it affect gut health and assimilation and lead to things like leaky gut? Yes, it does. Uh, we consume all of those high glycemic load carbohydrates, can it lead to alterations in the gut microbiome? 
Yes. Will it affect your mitochondria, the energy producing factories of the cells in many ways, including excessive oxidative stress, or as you pointed out, uh, depletion of certain vitamins and nutrient uh, minerals that support mitochondrial function, potentially so. So there are many, many factors. And of course, even if you're not specifically depleted by uh, your diet, remember that you're pushing your body far harder than you would normally do. So you have to proportionately eat. You have to get your nutrients through food, which is certainly what I believe in, in a, in a manner that is in balance with what you're doing with your body as well. So, uh, it, you know, you can get yourself into deficit even while still eating. Do you think that the the average person on one hand and or the athlete can actually eat enough to meet their nutrient demands in this day and age? It is probably challenging. And one of the things I do in my office when I engage a person in a functional medicine approach is we do a huge number of labs, huge, you know. Uh, and so we look at all of those micronutrients. And there are some nutrients that are commonly depleted and need to be replaced, folate being one uh, that is often low, uh, imbalances in omega 3 fatty acids zinc, magnesium, sometimes B12, not as, not as often, uh, vitamin C. I see low vitamin C levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some older adults, depending on the age, you know, because I'm a neurologist, I tend to see a lot more older adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, changes in gut health, and of course, many people on uh, chronic acid-blocking drugs, the so-called proton pump inhibitors, are often depleted in B vitamins and protein. They, they can't digest protein because they don't have stomach acid to break that protein down into amino acids. Um, so there, there are huge nutrient deficits. And I certainly believe in a concept called food synergy, which is that ultimately we assimilate nutrients best through food, through whole food. However, uh, because some nutrient deficits are so common, and once I measure and identify, in other words, what I don't like is, uh, I don't recommend, let's just put it that way, is this sort of kid in the candy store approach. I heard that was good for me. I heard that was good for me. I'll go to the supplement store and buy a bottle of this and bottle of that. And we'll see people come in with shopping bags full of pill bottles and they're sick. And I say, wait a minute here. This is not making you better. This is why you're, you know, you're here because you're sick. We need to look at this disconnect because you're taking these pills thinking you're making yourself better, but you're not. However, uh, some degree of targeted supplementation does become necessary because of significant measured identified depletions. Right. I, I definitely agree with everything you just said. And I think this would be a good time to start talking about memory loss and dementia and Alzheimer's, which I was telling you before we started recording about, I spent the holidays with my mother a good 10 days. We went on a retreat and she has early Alzheimer's. And so it's kind of interesting because she seems to wax and wane in and out of it. She'll one day say to me, now tell me again who you are and when did I meet you? And I'll say in the hospital when you gave birth to me. And she just looks at me like she has no idea what I'm talking about. But then the next day, she knows exactly who I am. So she's in this waxing and waning phase. And we started noticing changes several years ago that she was having some difficulty finding words and finding things in her house. So why why is this such a big problem that we're dealing with? We're really starting to have almost an epidemic in our country. We really are. It is a big problem. 5.7 million Americans living with Alzheimer's disease. Most of them, the vast majority, about 5.5 million, have what is called late-onset Alzheimer's disease, which is somewhat inaccurately defined by age of onset, meaning about 65 years of age or older. 
But I think you hit on a really important point when you talked about your mother saying, we noticed changes years ago. And we now know that the changes in the brain that ultimately lead to Alzheimer's disease are evolving potentially over decades, 10 to 20 years even, before the onset of the, or the recognition of a disease, that something is not right, that this person is forgetting words or getting lost or forgetting conversations or getting stuck on names or, you know, noticing changes in mood or personality or behavior, things that are a real red flag. You know, to draw an analogy in Parkinson's disease, which is at one level can be understood as a loss of nerve cells called dopamine producing cells in the base of the brain called the substantia nigra. I was once told that by the time a person develops Parkinson's disease, they've actually lost 95% of their dopamine producing nerve cells. So the point is that these diseases are really brewing a long time before we actually get sick. And ideally, we want to be able to identify people before they get sick, before they manifest symptoms. Because if they're manifesting symptoms, there's been a lot of damage that has already occurred. I'll give you another example. As part of a evaluation in my office, if we can, we'll send our patients for a particular type of MRI of the brain using some software called NeuroQuant. What NeuroQuant does, and it's not that new, it's probably a few years old, uh, but the, what it does, radiologists had been attempting to do for a very long time by hand. So NeuroQuant automates what we had what they had attempted to do by hand, which is to take the images produced by the MRI and analyze them using essentially like an artificial intelligence engine so that the software can quantify the volume of different regions of the brain. They used to have to do this by hand, it's very imprecise. Now, with a software program that's very, actually very inexpensive, only adds about $80 to the cost of an MRI, that's going to be done automatically. So, for example, there is a region of the brain classically affected in Alzheimer's disease called the hippocampus. It's located on the side of the brain, on the inside surface of what we call the temporal lobe. So it's the medial temporal lobe region. We have a hippocampus on each side of the brain. It is very common. I'm talking about a patient who is here, who's coming to see me for an initial evaluation. It is very common for me to see hippocampal volume on neuroquant that's say in the fifth percentile, right? So they already have a tremendous amount of volume loss. The 50th percentile for your listeners, right, would be average, average. So they're, they're you know, an, uh, an order of magnitude, you know, from 50 down to five, right, 10 times less in terms of volume, they've already lost a tremendous amount. And, you know, it's human nature, I think, you will probably agree, that we don't tend to address things until that house is burning down, where, you know, the house is burning, we're calling the fire department. By the time they arrive, sometimes the house is in cinders, and there's really a problem. And so one of the messages that I really want to get out today, and I really try to share with, with listeners and readers and so forth, is, look, we need to be able to recognize those changes very early, because too often, uh, my office is contacted by the son or the daughter, um, calling about mom or dad, you know, and they've had dementia for 10 years, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, they, you know, require 100%, you know, care from uh, the, the, the child who's the caregiver, the adult child, and they want to know if we can fix mom or dad. And unfortunately, it really doesn't work that way. 
Um, so the, there is a window of opportunity realizing that by the time that person is sick, they have lost a tremendous amount of brain. And the likelihood that that am amount of brain is going to be restored is fairly low or limited. Right. And you, you bring up a lot of important points that are, are key for memory loss and dementia, as well as a lot of other health conditions that we deal with. And so I'm just curious, you're, you've been a physician for many years, you have a lot of experience, you've seen a lot of patients. Why do you think that is that we really tend to, as humans, take our health for granted, think it's not going to happen to me. And how does our current healthcare system foster that? And how can people get out of that mindset into a proactive mindset that health is something to be cherished and cared for, just like your house and your car that needs regular maintenance? How? Talk to me about your views on that. I think it's really important. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a single answer here. We really do have to change the dialogue here. And I think what you're doing now and other holistic health practitioners in our field who do podcasts and radio shows and video blogs and put themselves out there and say this message over and over and over again, because what you're really talking about is a culture change. Yeah. And culture changes are slow and they're, they're painfully difficult. Um, you know, I'm in a, in a group, a, a web-based group through the American Academy of Neurology that's a integrative neurology uh, uh, we call it a, you know, where people, it's a board where people talk back and forth via, via messaging, message board. Awesome. So, you know, uh, what I see among some of the practitioners is a perspective that they still want to hone in on drugs when this is clearly not the, going to be the answer in the long run if a person really wants to create health for themselves. Mm -hmm. And what, what I see from from my end, where as as a profession we are guilty, is this idea that when we sit down in that examination room to visit with our patients one on one, this very intimate setting, mm -hmm. it's how can I fix this person? And 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 the person facing me is thinking, doctor, fix me. Right. And when we get out of that, we have to get out of that mode of thinking that somehow medicine fixes a person. Right, and that the fix is this targeted treatment that we that is a, a pharmaceutical or a surgical intervention, and and really that's why I put uh, to some degree nutraceuticals in the same bag because health never comes out of a bottle. Right, it's a tool, it's an adjunct. The word supplement literally should means that supplemental to, in addition too. Uh, right. So all of those things we see on TV and the internet that are the magic cures for everything under the sun from, you know, hangnails to dementia, you know, be very skeptical that, that any of that stuff is really going to have a significant impact. Right. Yes. So we just need to change. We need to really work on it. And it's a slow process of changing the dialogue from sick care to health care. Right. Uh, the expectation are different and the process it's slow medicine slow medicine slow medicine yes so if you're listening uh you need to be aware yes it, it can and will happen to you and your your health is a precious commodity i say it's your most valuable uh, asset and it needs to be treated like that with as being an important investment and so i help people to see that uh, expenditures on your health are actually an investment in your future because without your health, really nothing else matters. You can get back money, but you can't get back your health sometimes once it's gone past a certain point. So with cognitive impairment, what are some things that people could be doing proactively to tune up their brain health? I know you have lots of resources in your book on what to do. Could you give us some highlights? Well, certainly. And the good news is that functional, the principles of functional medicine, the principles of what's good for the brain 
are really the same principles as what's good for any other part of the body. We are holistic beings, right? And so when we nurture the brain, you're nurturing your heart, you're nurturing your gut. I'm sure you've talked with listeners about this all-important gut-brain connection, for example. Uh, There really is even a skin-brain connection, if you will. could talk about the skin in terms of exposure to the sun, right? Sunlight, the vitamin D, the vitamin A, the retinol, the melanopsin and so forth that you get by uh, stimulating the back of the eye with the sun or the soil, touching the dirt, the microbes, connecting with the earth, grounding and so forth just to make a point about a skin-brain connection. So we do need to adopt these lifestyles. We do live in an age of convenience. I'm not necessarily against that. I've been kind of a tech geek since I was a kid and wanted a Apple, you know, the first generation Apple computers and wouldn't, couldn't understand my parents wouldn't get me one, you know, uh, but That all being said, uh, we can start out with very, very basic things, right? We need to pay attention to sleep quality. That's duration as well as what's happening during that period of sleep, right? So we have an epidemic of obesity, and though not all people with sleep apnea, which means to stop breathing when you're asleep, necessarily are obese, It is a common risk factor for sleep apnea and a sleep apnea being a very common problem and placing the brain at tremendous risk for Alzheimer's. So addressing sleep quality, especially sleep apnea, getting those seven or eight hours of sleep every night. Movement turns out to be tremendously important. Surprise, surprise, right? Uh, Movement stimulates something called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is essentially a growth hormone that helps us harness stem cells in the brain to become new, healthy brain cells. So you can grow your brain, and you can grow your brain through movement. Ideally, we're doing this in an integrative fashion, meaning, yes, it's great to go to the gym. Absolutely, you should be lifting weights, but we should also be moving our bodies outside, right? Ideally, so we can integrate all of those other factors. Because when you're doing that, you can also be in a state of mindfulness. So it moves us on to the role that stress and connection even play in brain health. I tell my patients that our our natural tendency to live in the past or the future, to worry, to ruminate, to not be in the moment, is like trying to drive your car with one foot on the brake and one foot on the accelerator. If you want to grow your brain, you have to give it space time, energy for growth. And if we're in that fight or flight mode, that go, 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 right? It's not always being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. Maybe it's, oh my gosh, I have a podcast this morning at eight o'clock central time. I have to be at my office. I have to be early because I got to be on a Zoom call, right? That's a little fight or flight and, you know, guilty as charged. So, but we need to also be in the moment. And that's why these wonderful hour-long chats sort of fly by and, and they're over before we even realize it because we can get in the moment together in this conversation. Human connection is then part of that. And our brains are absolutely wired to connect. There's some fascinating research uh, it's, I'm, uh, that's a, that you can definitely read about. We can direct your listeners. I can provide some links that actually show that the area in the brain that lights up when we're in physical pain on a type of imaging study called functional MRI also lights up when we're in emotional pain. 
when there is the pain of loneliness, the pain of disconnection. And that makes perfect sense because ultimately what we are wired for is survival. We are wired to find food, find shelter, to reproduce. And pain is a symptom, pain is a signal from the body that something is not right. It asks us to pay attention and to redirect and shift gears. And when we're disconnected, when we're away from our peers, when we're away from our community, when we're away from our village, we're far less likely to find that food. We're far less likely to find that shelter. And we're certainly unlikely to reproduce if we don't have the comfort and the connection to the, to the people around us. So connection is very important. We have evolved as humans biologically to connect, and our brains will tell us when we're not connecting that there's a problem. It shifts us right back into that fight-or-flight mode, which ultimately affects all of those systems that I was talking about earlier. Now, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, I love that you're hitting all these very important areas that people need to address to heal. And I heard it said recently, and I loved this summary, is that basically getting in a parasympathetic neurologic state is what you need to do to heal. And all of the measures that you're talking about help to foster that, staying in the now getting out of the future, getting out of the past, connecting with others, sleep, getting outside, grounding. And for everybody listening, the sympathetic part of your nervous system is that fight, flight, get up and go part. And it energizes your muscles and it makes your cognitive function uh, sharper and your visual acuity sharper and it makes you stronger and run faster. And the parasympathetic, I call the Buddha, brings blood centrally to your digestive organs and helps you to heal. And all the things that Dr. Ken's talking about really do foster this parasympathetic state. And so many of us, I love a tool that I use to assess patients called a HRV or heart rate variability. And yeah, don't you love that? Yes. And it gives me a report where I can actually show someone in black and white, or actually it's full color, uh, what's going on with their autonomic nervous system with their sympathetic and parasympathetic and where they are and how they're depleted. And this is my, my hard data where I say, you need to meditate. You need to get in the now you need to go outside and put your feet on the earth. Uh, So thank you for bringing up all of these lifestyle tools that are so key that I know when I practice regular OBGYN, I didn't discuss that with anyone because it wasn't part of my board certification. So I love that I'm now fellowship trained in functional medicine and, and I'm, I, I have a license to help people address these root causes. Yeah. And, you know, as I went through those lifestyle factors, I intentionally left out food. I left out nutrition. And I think I want, I want your listeners and I'd like to engage in this conversation with you because Well, not technically, but commonly, food is the thing we gravitate toward first, really, right? There's all kinds of diets out there, uh, ketogenic, paleo, and so on and so forth, you know, and then specialized uh, diets like GAPS were uh, the... uh, Uh, specific carbohydrate diets, uh, Dr. Wall's protocol, modified paleo, vegan, vegan, et cetera, et cetera. And so we can get into these conversations about what is the best diet and what is the best diet for the brain. And yet, if we're not paying attention to all those other factors, what we eat doesn't matter so much, right? So we need to make sure that all of this is part of an overall lifestyle plan. Do I consume gluten? No, I don't, right? Uh, Do I think gluten is good for your brain? No, I don't. But if the obsession is I have to be on a gluten-free diet, and that's what we're sort of you know, monocularly focused on, then I think that we're missing out on a lot of what keeps 
the brain healthy. Yes. So I love that you mentioned all those lifestyle factors. And you mentioned earlier about hormone balance and that really all of these diseases that we're suffering with, whether it's cancer or heart disease or Alzheimer's, whatever it is, I always like people to understand that those are the leaves and branches on the tree. And that with functional medicine, we go down the trunk to the roots and we address all of these things that Dr. Ken and I are talking about that are the inputs. And so if you heal the roots, all of the diseases, the branches and leaves get better. And you mentioned hormone balance. So a lot of my listeners are middle-aged women and they want to know what do I need to do about my hormones? I'm getting ready to go through menopause or I've gone through menopause and they want to know about bioidenticals. Is this something I need to do? Do I need to do it forever? And it's my understanding that the research is pretty clear that bioidentical hormone replacement to physiologic levels actually helps protect the brain. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, and I absolutely agree with everything that you've said. So once we are working on those lifestyle factors, there are some things that are happening under the hood of the car, so to speak. And that's really where a practitioner can be extremely helpful. Hopefully, as practitioners, we can also be helpful with those lifestyle factors because part of that experience of health, real health care, of healing, is is implementation, is integrating those, is making it all work, is that transformative experience that you have over a period of time. But that being said, what can't you do on your own? Well, you can't measure your hormone levels without the help of a provider who's licensed to be able to assist you with that. And even if that practitioner can get some labs done, they have to be able to perhaps prescribe like bioidentical hormones are still a prescription, right? So if we look at Alzheimer's disease, statistically, two out of three people affected by Alzheimer's disease are women. And there are actually several uh, gender disproportionate neurological conditions, but Alzheimer's is certainly one of them and among the most common. We know from some very important studies, including the Cache County study, as well as a subset of what's called the Framingham study, that women who are on hormone replacement therapy around the time of menopause, plus or minus at least five years, meaning we have a little bit of a window. Uh, And when I use the term menopause, I'm referring to either natural or biological menopause, the waning of hormones as one ages, as well as surgical menopause, which is all too common for women, right? And just a side story is that goes back to that hormone module. Uh, Dr. Bethany Hayes, who's one of the, and used to be, I don't know, she still is one of the instructors. She's an OBGYN from uh, the Portland, Maine area, said, uh, she shared this story. She said, you know, only for women uh, are they told that uh, by their surgical, you know, gynecologist or conventional gynecologist that uh, uh, if they have, um, pelvic issues and they need, quote, exploratory surgery, that they're going to be put under general anesthesia. And when they wake up, they may or may not have their reproductive organs in place, right? They're going to have a laparoscopy or an open uh, incision, and the surgeon's going to look around and decide at that moment whether to remove their uteries, their uterus and or ovaries. Well, what if the tables were turned? What if this was a man? And we said, we're going to put you to sleep. And when you wake up, you may or may not have your testicles, right? I think we can say that on a podcast. Oh, my gosh. There would be unbelievable rebellion, right? What men would put up with that, right? Nobody. No one. But. But culturally, we accept this. And when you look at some of the reasons why many women end up 
in a situation where they say have excessive uterine bleeding and things like that, well, I'm sure you've had that conversation with other people on your podcast show because we have all kinds of problems in our society with, you know, stress and estrogen mimics and, you know, dietary issues and so on and so forth that play a role in changing the normal behavior of the uterus. So uh, obviously there are probably many cases of elective hysterectomy that are not even necessary in the first place if we could dial in those lifestyle factors. But the fact is today it is still occurring. And again, change is slow. So Mm -hmm. we need to be paying attention to hormones because those hormones, while they're absolutely critical for the process of reproduction, of conception, as well as uh, the maintenance of the pregnant uterus for a fetus uh, to grow into a healthy, uh, you know, baby and, 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 come into this world, uh, these hormones are actually critical for brain function. They're critical for brain nerve cell growth. They they play a role in the immune system and the brain itself. They're involved in learning, memory. Boy, that sounds kind of familiar. It already starts to sound like Alzheimer's disease, right? Mm -hmm. So when we withdraw those what we call trophic factors, right, growth factors, For the brain, the brain has a very hard time making new memories. The brain has a very hard time defending itself, which is what our immune system is, against the environment, which can be anything that stimulates that fight or flight uh, response. So it can be infections, it can be toxins, uh, and so forth. You you touched on so many things that uh, just get me excited. So elective hysterectomies and unnecessary hysterectomies, and I'm getting ready to start a campaign to save 1 million uteruses because it really is an epidemic of people losing their uteruses when probably a lot of those surgeries are unnecessary and would have been unnecessary if they had been treated properly years before with a functional approach. So I get excited about that. And then I also get excited about women not understanding what the the necessity is for hormone, proper hormone replacement therapy. I'm not talking about traditional pharmaceuticals, but biologically identical hormone replacement therapy, they oftentimes think that it's just if they have hot flashes, that's really it, or maybe their sex drive. But as you highlighted, there are actually more sex hormone receptors in the brain than anywhere else in the body. And sex hormones are so key for learning, memory, mood, and cognitive functioning, muscle mass, bone mass, sex hormones are actually probably more important for the rest of the body to maintain and be healthy in the long run than for reproductive capacity. That almost seems like a byproduct is is kind of my opinion. So I just want everyone listening to know uh, how essential these sex hormones are. Yes. So please talk to your doctor. You know, in my opinion, it's you know, as a functional medicine practicing neurologist, sometimes I'll say, you know, and and I'm certainly by far not the only neurologist in the world of the United States. So there are many neurologists out there, but if your neurologist is not doing fill in the blank, then find a new neurologist. And it's gotten to the point where, for example, if your neurologist is not checking a vitamin D level, or you're not getting your vitamin D level checked, find a new neurologist or find a new doctor because vitamin D has become so important for everything from, you know, multiple sclerosis to Alzheimer's disease. If you're a neurologist, if you're coming to a neurologist concerned about your memory, either your risk of memory loss, because maybe you have a mother who has Alzheimer's disease, or you're noticing some early changes, whether they're just purely subjective and you're otherwise functioning normally, or maybe there are changes that other people are noticing, get those hormones replaced. Neurologists need to learn to manage hormones or be working closely with a doctor such as yourself to make sure that 
our patients' hormones are being managed properly because this is so connected to the chronic diseases of aging, including, of course, Alzheimer's disease. Yes. So I was going to ask you if you could give your top three action steps that people listening could take today, simple things they could do today to help heal their brains and prevent cognitive decline. What would your top three action steps be? Well, I think it still goes, you know, and this is all about empowerment, right? So we do want our clients, our patients, our followers, et cetera, to be very aware that hormone replacement is important. And there's a certain point where you can have a holistic impact on your hormones, right? Of course you can. So, you know, when you sleep, what you eat, lifting weights, you know, all those things are going to positively impact hormones. But at a certain point, the realities of aging set in and perhaps you do need hormone replacement therapy. And that's only going to come from a a licensed provider. That being said, what can listeners do right now? And that is still number one, dial in those lifestyle factors. I, I, you know, I actually think that sleep may be perhaps one of the most important things out there. I think sleep is, when we don't sleep, so many other things happen, right? Our bodies are in that fight or flight mode. We can't find the energy to move our bodies and exercise. We tend to get kind of lazy about our food, right? So if we can get one thing, put one foot in front of the other, Mm -hmm. we can focus on one thing. It's get enough sleep. Okay. That's number one. What would number two be? And so let's talk about food and we kind of put that at last, but bring food in now and realize that there are inflammatory foods and there are anti-inflammatory foods. Mm -hmm. And without getting into deep, you know, details, we always say, you know, in our office, at least if it has a mother or comes from the earth, eat real food, focus on eating clean food, focus on those things that don't need labels. And if they have a label, you know, if you need a chemistry degree to read that label, it is not food. Right. So keeping it really simple, right? It's those edge of the supermarket foods. It's the lots and lots of veggies, well-chosen, you know, protein. I'm not a vegetarian, but I think Dr. Hyman's coined term of pegan is probably spot on pegan. with the way that we should be eating primarily a, a, a vegetable based whole food diet rich in omega-3 fatty acids coming from things like wild-caught fish, grass-fed beef, to some extent uh, vegetable-based omega-3, although uh, or nut and seed-based, although our bodies don't tend to convert that ALA into the DHA and EPA that our bodies can use as, as humans, as mammals, as readily. Remember that the brain is mostly DHA. The brain is mostly fat, so we need to get plenty <laughs> of fat into the diet and good quality fats. Good fats. So get that nutrition. Get your sleep. Get your nutrition. And then move your body. You know, and 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 uh, there are many thought leaders in this arena, uh, but one I might point to uh, is probably a mutual friend. I don't know if you know him, but Daryl Edwards, uh, Primal Play, right? The idea is that do you have to be going to the gym? Um, it's fun. I've done CrossFit. I enjoy that kind of thing. So, at, you know, if that's your thing, go do it. But the point is that someone like Daryl would talk about if you're if you're just if you're using your body the way it's designed if you're up on your feet if you're getting down to the ground properly squatting and standing up if you're lifting heavy things as we like to say moving things you're moving your body and that counts so integrate that it's it's a natural thing i try to stand as much as possible all day long Mm-hmm. Right? I wear an Apple Watch. It tells me, have I met my goals? I always meet my standing goals. There's no question that the cliche goes, it's sitting is the new smoking. So moving isn't as hard as it sounds. 
moving is what we are wired to do and we can learn to do it unconsciously. Could we integrate things that, you know, involve the gym or the bike or, you know, other forms of equipment? And the answer is absolutely can. But if you're waiting for that to happen, you know, it's the rainy day mentality. You know, I can't do it today because, right? No, you can. You can stand. You can move. You can walk. You can lift. You can go down to the ground and get back up, right? That's movement. And that counts. So keep your body moving. So sleep, nutrition, movement. Sleep, nutrition, movement. I, I, I echo that. I'm at my standing desk now. And, uh, you know, it does take some getting used to. You, you sometimes have to take a break. And I tell people, work up to it. You know, stand as long as you can. Then take a seat for a few minutes. Stand as long as you can. Yes. But it's awesome. I've even seen these little walking pads you can get that go under your desk. So however you can integrate it, if you're listening, sleep, food, movement. How can you integrate small changes into your life today? That's what I want you to have as your take action challenge. What could you do to make your lifestyle more conducive to healthy, adequate sleep? Maybe change some things in your bedroom, take the TV out, maybe go to bed at a set time, stop drinking liquids a few hours beforehand, make sure your stress is dealt with beforehand. Maybe there's some meditation practices. I, when I was at this uh, meditation yoga retreat over the holidays, there's my favorite teacher who does yoga nidra. So if you're listening, that's a wonderful, restful, sleep-inducing type of yoga where you don't do anything except listen. You just lay there. And she was there. And so I got to meet her. She has a wonderful video on YouTube, Divine Sleep Yoga Nidra, Jennifer Reese. So it never fails to put me to sleep. So what could you do to get better sleep? Movement, like Dr. Ken said, how could you integrate that? Maybe get a standing desk. You can get little tabletop or desktop uh, hardware that sits on top of your desk to put your computer on even. You don't have to buy a whole new desk. But you want to have not only aerobic training, but strength training, and you need some type of flexibility. That's why I love yoga. Yes. And, uh, and then lastly, your food. Your foods are inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. So everything you choose to put in your mouth today, I want you to ask yourself, look at it. Is this promoting inflammation, which is kind of like rust in your body, or is it quenching inflammation and quenching rust? Because it's one or the other, and you want to lean more towards decreasing inflammation. And those would be your fruits and your vegetables and your whole foods that Dr. Ken talked about. So there you have some wonderful action plan. Definitely check out Dr. Ken's book, Healthy Brain Toolbox. You can get it at healthybraintoolbox.com. And we'll have a link in the show notes. You can check out his practice website at functionalmedicine.doctor. Correct? Correct. Thank you so much. Yes. (laughs) And you can learn more about his brain tune-up program there and his neurology practice. And again, the book Healthy Brain Toolbox, you can find it there. My last question for you, the name of the podcast is Her Brilliant Health Radio. And I'd love it if you could share with listeners how you would define Her Brilliant Health. Hmm. Great question. I... Immediately, when I hear the word brilliant, I think about energy, right? And ultimately, that's what we are. We are energetic beings. And so all of these things we're talking about that ground us, our sleep, our food, our movement. And when we do those things, we naturally integrate our connection with others, our being in the moment with all of those activities. Ultimately, that is reflected back in your energy. So I would want your listeners to think about that as we embrace food, we embrace it with joy. We embrace sleep with joy. We wake up to the world and to the gift that is life. That to me would lead a person to their brilliant health. Mm. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for sharing yourself and your expertise and your journey with us. We really appreciate it. And I think that so many people have benefited from everything that you've shared. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Dr. Kieran. Appreciate your having me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Hopefully you are inspired to take action on some new information you received today. A step towards the bountiful, blissful, beautiful vitality that you deserve. If you have health topics and questions you'd like addressed, please message me on my Facebook page or visit KieranDunstonMD.com and let me know. I'd love to help. Remember to share this podcast on social media and send it to your friends and family who could benefit from it too. If you love the show, please go right now to iTunes, write a review, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be the first to know when future episodes are available. Thank you again for joining me. And remember, achieving optimal health isn't magic, it's science.